Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Don't Judge Me. All right. Well, one of the most misunderstood verses in the entire Bible is this one right here. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. By the way, isn't it amazing how many people know that verse by heart? They don't go to church. They don't even read their Bibles. But they somehow, someway know that verse really, really well. And so when somebody corrects them for something, when somebody has the audacity to point something out in their life, what they always say is, judge not that you be not judged. And a lot of times they'll get that little head swaying action into it too, right? <laughs> judge not that you be not judged, right? <laughs> and so you say whatever, you know, the, the Bible is very clear on, on how we should live our lives. It's got... Um, Uh, clear passages about our behavior, and so you may challenge them on something the Bible has to say. Like, hey, you really shouldn't be using profanity and telling dirty jokes. Well, judge not that you be not judged. Hey, you really shouldn't be drinking so much. Well, judge not that you be not judged, right? You really should start going to church again. Don't judge me. You shouldn't be living together before you get married. God's word's clear. Why don't you honor him in that area? Judge not that you be not judged, right? I could go into a thousand different areas. And so we hear this a lot. And so whatever the issue may be, they don't know any other Bible verse, but they know that one. And their attitude is they don't want to be judged. Okay, so when Jesus said that phrase, judge not that you be not judged, Was he actually saying, did he mean that we are to refrain from making any judgments at any time? Yes or no, what do you think? No, of course not, right? It's just obvious. If he really meant by those words that we were not allowed to make any judgment at any time, then we should close every courthouse in America because juries would be wrong to judge criminals. If Jesus really meant by those words, judge not, that you be not judged, that we should refrain from making any judgments at any time, then police officers should stop pulling us over for speeding. I mean, how would this go down? You're speeding, there's the lights, you pull over, the officer comes up to the door, "Uh, sir, how fast were you going? What do you care? Judge not that you be not judged, right? How's that gonna go over? If Jesus really meant that we were to stop making judgments in all cases, then parents should stop correcting their children because that would be judging. Bosses should stop holding their employees accountable because that would be judging, right? And so, of course, Jesus expects us to make certain judgments from time to time, and we know that by the context, please everybody say context, of that verse. You see, when Jesus said that in verse one, he had something else to say just five verses down from that. Check it out on the screen. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 6, do not give what is holy to who? Nor cast your pearls before who? (laughs) Lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus called some people dogs and swine. Sounds like a judgment to me, right? And so when you're sharing truth, this is what Jesus is saying, you gotta be careful who you're sharing truth with because some people, not all people, but some people have hardened their hearts so much toward God, they've allowed themselves to become like a dog or a pig. And so just like a pig, right, doesn't see the worth and the value in a pearl necklace, and if you try to put that pearl necklace around the neck of a pig, that pig doesn't care. That pig will trample that pearl necklace with his feet. And he may turn, if it's a boar, and rend you to pieces. 
Well, in the same way that that pig doesn't see any value in a pearl necklace, so some people don't see any value in God's word or God's truth. So be careful, Jesus says, about sharing truth with some people because it may be a waste of time and it may even be detrimental to your health. That's a judgment that we make. Did Jesus ever judge? Of course he did. In John chapter 8, when the woman was taken in adultery, in the very act, what did Jesus say to her? He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Did Jesus forgive the woman taken in adultery? Yes, absolutely. But then he said, he made a judgment about adultery. He said to the woman, you got to stop living that way. Go and sin no more. And so the Lord made judgments. He calls us as his people to make judgments about certain sinful practices. We're in Romans 14 today. In a little while, uh, two chapters down the road, we'll be in Romans chapter 16. Look at what Paul said to the church uh, at large about making judgments. He says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and what's the next two words? Avoid them. Sounds like a judgment to me. Sounds like judging to me. Okay, and so here's what, here's what people love to do. They love to take a verse out of its context and teach whatever they want it to teach. They want to make the Bible say whatever they want the Bible to say instead of leaving the verses in the context of that paragraph in the context of that book in the context of what the entire scriptures teach because when you rightly divide the word of truth and you see the whole counsel of God you see that God does expect us absolutely to make certain judgments at certain times somebody's causing division in the church God says avoid them and so the million dollar question is this when is it okay to judge others and when is it not okay to judge others? Well, let me give you just three points. Um, this is not a comprehensive list. Judge not that you be not judged. Okay, we shouldn't judge others, number one, when we're doing the same thing. Right? What is that called? Hypocrisy. Paul said in Romans 2.1, Therefore, you are inexcusable old man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. Okay, so if you're practicing the same thing, if you're doing drugs, don't, tell, don't call somebody out for doing drugs. If you're drinking some, too much, don't call somebody out for who's, who's drinking too much. If you're having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you get married, don't call somebody out for sexual immorality. You, you, you're inexcusable. You're, you're doing the same thing. You're a hypocrite. And that's the context of what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. And then he went on to say in Matthew 7, 3 through 5, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye. You know, if anyone thought Jesus didn't have a sense of humor, he did. Everybody's laughing when he said that. You know, you're looking at the little tiny speck in your brother's eye, judging him for a speck, and you got this big old beam coming out of your eyeball. And so Jesus said, let me he says, uh, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so very clear, we should not judge when we're doing the same thing. The second reason why we, um, it, when we should not judge people is when we don't have all the facts. I've been guilty of this. Probably if you were honest, you'd have to say, yes, there's been a time or two in my life, pastor, when I've been guilty of this, right? Get the whole story. Get all the facts before you render your judgment. Okay, we get that from Proverbs 18, verse 13. It says, he who answers a matter before he hears it 
It is folly and shame to him. And so make sure you get all the facts. Make sure you get the background. You know, if you're serving in children's ministry, um, be careful about coming down too hard on these little kids. Here's why. Because maybe you don't have all the facts before you render your judgment. Maybe if you take the time to sit down and get to know the kid a little bit, you'll find out the kid never had a dad, and his mom, who's a single mom, is struggling to make ends meet. And there's more to the story, and maybe when you find out the whole story, you'll have a more tender heart before you do this, you see? And so when you don't have all the facts, don't judge. Wait till you have the facts. And then, here's what we're gonna spend the rest of our time on this morning. Number three, when you're dealing with what kind of things? Doubtful things. Okay, so before we jump into verse one, when is it okay, Pastor Mike, to judge? Well, just the opposite. Okay, so when you're not doing the same thing, it's okay to render a judgment. When you do have all the facts, it's okay to render a judgment. And when you're dealing, this is important, with things the word of God is clear on, then we absolutely are called by God to make a judgment. All right, so let's dig into verse one. Romans 14, verse one. I love the first word of the chapter. It sets the tone for the rest of the chapter. He says, receive, welcome, you know, accept. Receive one who is, note this, weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things, things the word of God is not clear on. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. When Paul said we shouldn't get into arguments about doubtful things, what did he mean? I love the ESV version of Romans 14.1. The ESV says we shouldn't quarrel over our opinions. Okay, everybody say opinion. Okay, everybody's got one. And everybody's opinion stinks except your own. That's why they say opinions are like armpits, right? Everybody's got an opinion about something. And so Paul says, hey, I don't want you guys in the church to quarrel over your opinions. They were quarreling in the church of Rome. They were fighting. Surprise, surprise, they were fighting in the church. Nothing's changed, right, for 2,000 years. And what were they arguing about? They were arguing about minor issues. They were arguing about their opinions over, the, over matters. Now, it's very interesting to me that Paul put the two groups that were arguing he actually gave names for both of those groups, okay? So he called one group that was arguing those who are strong in the faith. And by the way, um, if you say, where, where is that, Pastor? Look at one page over, chapter 15, verse one. Okay, all these verses go together. And so chapter 15, verse one, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves, okay? And so in the church of Rome, people were arguing. Paul gave the two groups names. He calls one group strong in the faith, and he just, in chapter 14, verse one, called the other group those who are weak in the faith. Okay, so what did he mean by strong and weak? Well, if you're taking notes, the people who are strong in the faith understood their freedom in Christ. When you understand, when you finally get it, that you are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that your standing with God has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with, with, with what Christ has done. When you understand that the blood of Jesus is so powerful, it covers all your sins, past, present, future, when you stop trusting in yourself and you start trusting in Christ alone as your only hope, when you realize that your standing before God is righteous, not because you're so righteous, but because Christ is righteous, when you know that you've been clothed in the white robe of Jesus' perfection, when you know that you can run into the throne room of grace and receive a big bear hug from your heavenly Father because you're in Christ, when you finally get Romans three and four, then you realize that you don't have to keep all of these customs and rules 
to be better than others or to be more pleasing to God than others. You don't have to keep all of these customs and rules to have a right standing with God. You realize you're free in Christ in non-essential areas. We'll explain all that in a minute. Those are the strong in the faith in the church. But Paul says those who are weak in the faith. Now, this is Paul's term for them. They didn't think they were weak. They thought they were strong. But Paul says those who are weak in the faith, they don't understand their freedom in Christ. And so we know by the names that Paul gives to each group who he agreed with and who he disagreed with. But nonetheless, listen to this, Paul realized that both groups will always exist in a local church. And it's, it's imperative that both groups get along with one another in the church. That there's not any fights, there's not any division, there's not any church splits between weak brethren and strong brethren. And so knowing all that, Paul decides to write this section of his letter. And so let me give you all the historical background. I, I think it's imperative that you understand what was going on 2,000 years ago so that you can actually interpret the Bible correctly. And then we'll make an application to our lives here in a little while, okay? And so the historical background, what was going on? The Church of Rome was made up of Jewish believers and Gentile believers. In other words, Jews were coming to faith in Jesus. Isn't that an awesome time, an awesome thing? Jews were realizing from Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Daniel chapter 9, that Yeshua really is our Messiah. And they were embracing him as their Lord and their Savior, and they were being born again, Jewish people in the church of Rome. But then you had another group of people, Gentiles. If you're new to the Bible, a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. Okay, and so Gentiles were, were getting saved, receiving Christ, and they were coming into the church. And so now, in the church, you have religious Jewish people who come from a religious background, dominated by the law of Moses, and they're in the church, but you also have these Gentiles from a pagan background, and they're in the church as well. And because these two groups came from two totally different cultures, and because these two groups had two totally different opinions about a lot of things, they started to squabble and quarrel and fight in the church. And so the Jews who grew up observing the law of Moses, when they got saved, they kept observing the law of Moses. They're Jews. <laughs> That's just what they did. Now, let me go a little deeper. Okay, stay with me here. But the law... The law of Moses can be divided, generally speaking, into two groups, the moral law and the ceremonial law. You gotta understand this to understand Old and New Testament, okay? And so you got the moral law encapsulated in the Ten Commandments. So, you know, you shall have no other God before me, don't make any graven images, make sure uh, that you never take my name in vain, keep holy the Sabbath, right? Honor your mom and dad, don't murder, um, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet, okay? That's the moral law of God. By the way, did you know that all 10 commandments except for one is repeated in the New Testament? Does anybody know the one commandment that's not repeated in the New Testament out of the 10 commandments? Anybody know? Yeah. Keep holy the Sabbath. Did you know that that's not a requirement in the New Testament? It's nowhere in the New Testament. You can look and look and look and look. You can think that you gotta go to church on Saturday. You can think and try to say that Christians should be observing the Sabbath from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, but you need to know, please listen very carefully. This is one of the top 10 questions that I answer as a pastor. Okay, so please get this. The Sabbath was given to Israel, Exodus 31. It was not given to the church. In the church, they started going to church, Acts chapter 20, on Sunday. They didn't go to the synagogue anymore on Saturday. Okay, so all 10 commandments are repeated in the New Testament. Should we honor our mother and father, yes or no? Should we ever commit adultery? <laughs> no, should we ever murder anybody? No, okay, so all that's for us, but the one commandment that's not repeated is keep holy the Sabbath day. And so what you had 
is that these Jewish believers were getting saved, they were coming to the church of Rome, but they still had strong convictions concerning the ceremonial law. And that means that what food they, they ate and did not eat was very important. What days they observed was very important. Circumcising their sons was very important. Keeping the Sabbath to them was very important. But the Gentiles who were getting saved, they didn't have any exposure to the law of Moses. And what happened in the church of Rome, this is why Paul's writing this, is that the Jewish believers looked at their Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ, and they saw them working on the Sabbath. They saw them skipping certain Jewish holidays. They saw them at Outback eating a sirloin rare. The whole thing, the whole plate's filled with blood. They saw that, and these Jewish people had a cow. Yeah. They're like, hey, what are you guys doing? You can't do that. That's not right. And the Gentiles were like, well, dude, that's your deal. That's your custom. You know, I used to worship Zeus. Thank God I got saved. Now I worship Jesus. But this law of Moses thing, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so don't put all your rules and regulations on me. I can eat whatever I want to eat. Lobster. Right? Pork. Rabbit. I don't know why anybody would ever eat a rabbit. But anyway, <laughs> I can eat anything. I just pray over it and I dig in. And the Jewish people who were getting saved were like, no, that's not right. You're eating the devil's food. You can't do those things. You see, the Jewish believers believed that there's kosher food and non-kosher food. They still do today. If you go with us to Israel in March, you'll see that when we visit the Holocaust Museum and we go to the diner at the Holocaust Museum, that if you're eating a dairy product, you sit in one. I made the mistake. I'm so sorry. I took dairy product into the meat section because there's two different sections in that restaurant. And by the way, when we're there, we should absolutely respect their customs. I didn't know. I made a mistake. The, the man came and corrected me. I went and moved. No problem at all. Okay? But they believe that there's some kosher food and some food that's not kosher. And even meat that's allowed by God under the old covenant has to be prepared in a kosher way. You've got to drain all the blood. And so because some of these Jewish believers in the church of Rome 2,000 years ago had no guarantee that the local pagan market was preparing meat in a kosher way, what did they do? Verse 2, they, they ate only vegetables. Better be safe than sorry was their mindset. I'm only going to eat vegetables. Now, 1 Corinthians 8, quick side note, seems like a totally different situation, uh, similar but different. In 1 Corinthians 8, you have Gentiles who are getting saved from a pagan background where they used to worship all the Greek gods. And now they know that in their old worship of Zeus, they used to sacrifice animals and dedicate the animal to Zeus, and then they would take the meat and sell it to the local meat market, and then that local meat market would sell it to the community. And so those Gentiles would not go buy meat because that meat may have been sacrificed to an idol. And so different dynamics of what's going on in the church, and that's why Paul said, please look at verse two, for one believes he may eat all things, meat, lobster, shellfish, whatever, but he who is, what's the word? Weak eats only vegetables. Now, if you're here today and you're a vegetarian, you don't eat meat. This is not talking about what you're doing at all. Please don't be offended. Please don't send me an email, okay? <laughs> if you're a vegetarian and you abstain from meat for health reasons and not religious reasons, this has nothing to do with you at all, okay? This is a religious, it's in a religious context here. And so some of the Jewish believers thought they were so strong in the church of Rome because they were keeping the ceremonial law, right? Sabbath, Jewish feast days, I'm dressed in a certain way. 
I'm eating only kosher food. I'm circumcising my boys. They thought in the church of Rome, they received Christ, but they thought in the church of Rome that they're up here and everybody else is down here, that they're more pleasing to God, that they're strong. And Paul actually calls them weak. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when you really understand, I'll say it again, justification by faith. When you really get that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that there's no religious to-do list that you have to keep to commend yourself to God or have a right standing with God or even, pardon the bad English, a righter standing with God than others. When you finally get that, you know you're free. You know you're under the new covenant. You're in the dispensation of grace and all of those ceremonial laws back in Leviticus that have to do with diet and clothing and days has nothing to do with you. And so, Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter two. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are just a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so here's what I find interesting. Here's the rest of the story, and you gotta get this, so that we're culturally sensitive. Paul was a Jew. In my estimation, outside of Jesus Christ, greatest Christian who ever walked the planet. Amazing zeal. And so Paul, as a Jewish man, understood the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. I mean, my gosh, if anyone understood, Paul understood that. He understood the dispensation of law and the dispensation of grace more than anybody else. And so as a Jewish man, Paul knew he was not under the ceremonial law. But if you're with me here, say amen here. Okay, listen. But Paul also understood that some Jewish believers in Christ still love their Jewish heritage. And if they desire to maintain a kosher diet, to celebrate certain Jewish holidays, to circumcise their sons, to keep the Sabbath, and to dress a certain way, God bless them. God bless them. As long as they don't try to force those things on you as a Gentile, and as long as they don't say that you have to believe in Jesus and keep this list in order to be saved, as long as they're not doing those two things, they're not forcing it on you, and they're not saying you gotta keep it in order to be saved, then God bless them. When we go to Israel, one of our, 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 our well, our guide, uh, Erez, he's a Jewish believer in Jesus Christ. He loves Jesus with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, but he, he maintains a kosher diet. He's a Jewish man. We respect his Jewish heritage. Does that make sense to you guys? I think that's important, all right? And so there were, rest of the story again, certain Jews in Paul's day where Paul would go start a church and then he would leave to go start another church and then these Jewish people who were not saved, by the way, because they had a different gospel, they were coming in, they were called Judaizers, and what they were doing is that Paul would teach salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? They were coming in and saying, no, 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 Paul's only got half the story. You gotta believe in Jesus, sure, that's fine, but you also have to keep the law. You gotta keep Sabbath, you gotta circumcise your boys. And all you guys in here, Gentiles, you know, Reuben's waiting in the back room with a knife. <laughs> Make a line, all you guys, Gentile guys, it's time to get circumcised. If you have any hope of heaven, you better go back to that back room. That's what's, that's what's happening in the first century. And you know what Paul said to them? False gospel. In fact, let me read to you what Paul said to the church of Galatia about these guys. In Galatians 1, 8 and 9. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven <clears throat> preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Galatians 1, 8. Accursed, you know what that means in the, in the original? Damn to hell. Paul didn't pull punches. And so if you're gonna come to the church and preach a different gospel, that you have to believe in Jesus and keep the list in order to go to heaven, 
That's a false gospel. And let me tell you something, the pastors here and the elders here, we will not tolerate that. We will absolutely make a judgment about that because what you're doing is you're putting, trying to put a legalistic trip on people and you're trying to add to Christ when salvation is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift to be received. Okay? And so, hey, there were some Jews that were trying to force it on other people as a means to be saved and Paul says, no, 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 no. But if the Jews just loved their Jewish heritage and they wanted to practice the ceremonial law and they weren't trying to force that on other people, praise the Lord, Paul was very gracious. All right, let's keep going. Look at verse three. He says, let not, let not him who eats, in the context that's the stronger, those stronger in the faith. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not, <clears throat> excuse me, let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. Okay, so the weaker brothers in the church, I know you don't believe you're weak, Paul says, but don't judge this other group who you think they're compromising. No, no, no. For God has received him, verse four, who are you? to judge another's servant. You know, verse four, he's saying, you're not their master. You see, when you judge somebody over doubtful things, you're taking the place of their master. Who do you think you are? Get off your high horse, is what Paul's saying. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, i.e. Jesus. He stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. And so Paul says to those who are strong in the faith, hey man, when your weaker brother in the church, he's still growing, you know, but when he pulls out his religious to-do list that he's keeping, you know, in his own life, he feels like he's gotta do these things. When he pulls that out, don't despise him. This is where, this is where it really spoke to me. Because anybody who knows me, you, you know that my wife and I came from a very, very legalistic background. Not, not concerning the gospel. The gospel was pure in all the churches that we went to um, for, since we were 18 years old. It was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But then, you know, in order to be pleasing to God and to, to get right with God, then they had this man-made list of rules. And now that I'm out of all of that, you know what I find myself doing? I, I despise legalism, and if I'm not careful, I get in the flesh over people who are still growing and feel like they gotta keep that list. And so, no, 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 don't despise that person. And then to the weaker people in the church, he says, if, if your brother engages in a doubtful activity and you disagree with it, don't judge that person. God is able to make them stand, okay? So what, what is Paul saying? If you're with me, say amen here. Here's what Paul is saying to the church, and if he was here, he'd say the same thing to Calvary PSL. Here it is. In regards to your personal convictions, everybody chill out. That's what he's saying. Just take a chill pill. What attitude should we have in the church, Augustine? In the essentials, what? In the non-essentials, what? And in all things, what? There it is, right there. In the essentials, the things the Bible's clear on, crystal clear on, unity. But in the non-essentials, the Bible's not so clear. Personal convictions, hey, liberty. Live and let live. And in all things, love. In all things, love, that's so important. It looks so easy, but it's so hard to practice. And it's been hard to practice for 2,000 years. Back in the 1800s, there was two pastors uh, that were pastoring at the same time in London. They both had mega churches. One guy's name was Charles Spurgeon. Anybody heard of Spurgeon? Man, the prince of preachers. So much of his stuff, by the way, is online. Can I encourage you guys, don't Google your theology online. Okay, be careful about that because what happens is you get these weird websites with black backgrounds and crazy letters and, and, and you don't, don't even go there. It's all garbage, okay? But you wanna read someone who's solid? Read Spurgeon. Solid man of God. 
And so you had C.H. Spurgeon, and then you had another guy called Joseph Parker, and they were pastoring in the same town, London. They were good friends. Sometimes they would share each other's pulpits. Everything was hunky-dory until Spurgeon, everybody has their faults, right? Spurgeon found out that Joseph Parker enjoyed going to the theater. For you young people, that's not an R-rated movie in our culture. That's like an opera or a play. And Spurgeon publicly said, Joseph Parker is unspiritual for going to the theater. Joseph, Pastor Parker, found out about Spurgeon's comment. You know how he responded? Well, he knew that, everybody knew in London, that Spurgeon enjoyed a good cigar every once in a while. And so Joseph Parker publicly says, Charles Spurgeon is a bad example because he smokes cigars. Now because every time, Spurgeon was so famous, he's still famous today, every time Spurgeon burped, it was in the newspaper, right? And so because he was so popular, now all of London is reading the newspaper about how two men of God are quarreling, fighting over a trivial matter. Sad. It all could have been avoided if both of them would have taken out their Christian history book and read Augustine, who said in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, hey, chill out, liberty, and in all things, charity. I also uh, heard that D.L. Moody, who's one of my heroes, uh, D.L. Moody, American evangelist, was also living at the same time. He took a boat over the pond, over to England, and he would preach in England and have revivals, and D.L. Moody was insanely successful by the Spirit of God as well, and Moody called Spurgeon out publicly for smoking. And so Spurgeon, this is what allegedly happened, okay? Moody, you shouldn't be smoking those cigarettes. Spurgeon gets up, walks up to D.L. Moody, who, by the way, if you've ever seen a picture of D.L. Moody, he was a very large man. And so he walks up, Spurgeon walks up to Moody, puts his finger on his belly, and says, I'll put down my cigar when you put down your fork. <laughs> men of God, arguing over trivial matters. Okay, now, I have to say this because I get emails, okay? And so some of you right now just heard for the first time that Spurgeon smoked. Yes, you're thinking, I can keep smoking. Woo, yeah, praise the Lord. Tell my wife, please. Yeah, right? Well, just so you know, Spurgeon did eventually quit smoking later on in his life because of his ailing health. But listen, you shouldn't need a Bible verse to stop smoking. It's just common sense, right? It's been said that smoking won't send you to hell. It'll just make you smell like you've been there, <laughs> right? And, and that's true. Listen, smoking is true. You know, there, there's some churches that'll tell you you're going to hell because you're smoking. You're, no, you're not. Smoking will not send you to hell. But, you know, it's, it could be offensive to some people. Okay, and so here, here's my encouragement because some of you spouses, one smokes, the other one doesn't. Okay, if you're the non-smoking spouse, stop nagging your smoking spouse. Don't nag them. It doesn't do any good. Don't nag them. Love them. Accept them. Pray for them. Let God do a work in the person's heart. And let me say this as well. If we ever have a visitor, that, we have lots of visitors every week, but if we have a visitor that doesn't know all of our customs and they're out smoking in the parking lot, please don't walk up to them and say, put that cigarette out. Don't do that. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not a museum for self-righteous saints. We're a hospital for sick people, okay? Some people have got to get off your religious high horse and realize that there's a lost and dying world. And even when they do accept Christ, they're baby Christians. It takes time to grow. Just chill out. Let them grow. Now, I know, because last time I preached on this, someone came to me right after the service. Well, Pastor Mike, the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I know, okay? I know that, but there's also nothing in the Bible that says, thou shalt not smoke, it's not there. Okay, so just 
Just chill out, pray for the person, love the person, accept the person, let them grow. In the first century, in Paul's day, when he's writing this, they're arguing in the church about what kind of food should you eat? What kind of holy day should you uh, keep? In, in our day, we, we, we argue about other things. We argue about should we sing contemporary Christian music or hymns on Sunday morning? You would not believe how much feedback we've gotten on that one in 12 years. Okay? There's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt sing hymns. It's not there. It's not there. Is it wrong to play cards? I remember on the mission field a long time ago when I was, when I was in my 20s, I was in um, the back bed of a truck that was covered over with a bunch of my buddies and we're just in there taking a break, we're playing cards. And the pastor comes walking up, looks in the window and says, hey, you guys stop doing that. I was like, okay. I didn't know what I was doing wrong, but all right. Is it wrong to play cards? Is it wrong to go to a PG or PG-13 movie? Is it, should Christian men have long hair? Right? And so you, you, you wouldn't believe, because some of you guys don't come from a, a church background, and so some of us do, but you, you would not believe the rules in some churches. You know, it should be off the ear. It should not be touching the ear at all. Other churches say, it's okay if it goes down a little halfway. And then other churches, as long as it doesn't touch your collar, you know? Some people are like, you can't let your hair, it's gotta be short. And then they have this big long hair in the front that they swoop back and spray. It's like. Okay, so if it's wrong to have it long in the back, why do you got the big swoop in the front? I don't get this. Trivial, stupid. Is it okay for women to wear jeans? People argue. Is it wrong to go to the beach? Is it wrong to have a Christmas tree? You wouldn't believe the emails we get every Christmas when we have Christmas trees on the campus. That's a pagan holiday. Well, hey, can't Christians come along and redeem pagan holidays and let our light shine for Jesus Christ to the community? Right? I don't get it. My favorite one is this. Can Christians dance? Well, some can and some can't. Okay, if you can't, don't. It's painful to watch. And I can't dance. You should see me at this, these weddings. I can't dance, and so I let Pastor Will dance. He's an awesome dancer. But. but Christians split over these issues, and we're not supposed to split over these issues. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. Chill out. And in all things, charity. All right, we're going to read verses five through nine. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Paul says, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, keep it to yourself. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord, he does not eat. Give God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to who? And if we die, we die to who? Therefore, whether we live or die, we are whose? For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be what? Lord of both the dead and the living. You see Paul's point? Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the master. Jesus is the ultimate judge. We gotta stop judging each other because when we judge one another over doubtful things, we're putting ourselves in the place of a Lord and them in a place of servants. And Paul says, stop doing that. Stop doing that. And so if you're fully convinced that there's certain days that you should observe, do it for the Lord. If you think every day is alike, do it to the Lord. If you wanna eat whatever you want, do it for the Lord. As long as it's not eggplant, okay? <laughs> if you feel like you gotta avoid certain foods, do it to the Lord. Don't argue. Don't argue about personal convictions. Love each other and have your own convictions. 
And so one more time, when it comes to personal convictions, live and let live. When it comes to biblical convictions, things the Bible's clear on, then we teach, we admonish, we encourage, we exhort, we make judgments, absolutely. And then verses 10 through 12. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of, not you, Christ. (laughs) For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. And so, ladies and gentlemen, Christ is our ultimate judge. So we should really stop judging others in these areas of personal convictions and questionable matters. One day we're all gonna appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And on that day, here's what's gonna happen. It says we're all gonna stand, and the very next verse says every knee will bow. And so we're gonna be standing there for a second, and then here's what everybody's gonna do. You're gonna get down on your knees before the ultimate true judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're there at the judgment seat of Christ, here's what you won't be doing. You won't be saying, well, he did this. Well, she did, Lord, you remember what? You're not, that's not gonna happen. Each one of us, one-on-one, is gonna be before Jesus Christ, eyeball to eyeball, and we will give an account of our lives. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.10, check it out. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we must all appear, talking to the Christian community here, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Please notice it doesn't say the great white throne judgment. Okay, you gotta get, this is, this is really important, real quick, okay? And so generally speaking in the scriptures, I know there's more, but generally speaking, there's two resurrections. There's the resurrection of the living, there's a resurrection of the dead. Spiritually living, spiritually dead, okay? And so the resurrection of the living, here's how it's gonna go down. The rapture's gonna occur. We don't know when. Could happen at any moment. At that time, the dead in Christ, in Christ, will rise. We who are alive and remain will be caught up, will receive glorified bodies, and we, Believers in Jesus will go to the judgment seat of Christ. We will not give an account or be judged for our sins. Can anybody say amen to that? You say, why? Why do you Christians get off from being judged for your sins? Here's why. Because we accepted the fact that Jesus was judged for our sins. That's the reason. It's not that we're so holy or righteous Joe or whatever. No, we're sinners. Sinners saved by grace. So we've received the fact that Jesus paid for our sins in full, past, present, future. We've received him as our savior. And so we will be snatched up. Or if the Lord tarries, we will, the dead in Christ will rise first. And we'll go to the judgment seat of Christ. We won't give account for our sins. We will give an account for our works. Are you serving the Lord, Christian? Are you doing what he's called you to do or what you wanna do? You'll give an account for that. And by the way, it's not too late to change course in your life and start living for him. The other resurrection is the resurrection of the dead. This happens after the thousand year reign of Christ. It's called the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. And apparently, everybody who goes to this judgment, it's, it's so sad. Because the Bible says in Revelation 20 that they will give an account. And because they've rejected Christ, it says they will be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, you don't have to be, have a PhD to know, I don't want any part of that. Okay? And so if you're here today, And listen, we were all where you were at one time, so no one's judging you in this place. 
But if you're here today and you don't know where you stand with God, you gotta get that right. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You say, why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only one who paid for your sins on the cross in full. And now he's calling you, receive me. John 1.12 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You can be a son or daughter of God by receiving Jesus as your Savior and Lord. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.